We're going to be in chapter 15 this morning. So I'm going to read chapter 15 of Romans, verses 1 through 7, and put it up on the screen for you. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We'll stop right there. I don't know if you've ever done a group project. Um, if you've ever done a project in school uh, with a group of people, but if you, uh, if you have, you probably didn't enjoy it because most people seem to have an issue, like a problem with group projects. They don't like them very much. Um, there are a few different types of people who sort of show up in every group project, or at least in most group projects, okay? Uh, here's, how you here's how you categorize these people or you classify them. The first is the do-it-all person, the person who wants to do everything. They, uh, they will take care of a lot for the whole group. They will have lots of ideas. They will try to do a lot of the work. And um, sometimes this person is like this because they really just want to help the whole group not have to work so hard. But a lot of times the do-it-all does what they do because they are still sort of hoping to maybe kind of like get uh, a little bit ahead of everybody else in the group. You kind of hope you'll get a better grade. They hope they'll like get more out of that group project they're doing. Maybe the teacher will notice like this person really stepped up there and led the group or whatever, and that that might reflect well on them. This is a person usually who's most interested in like how it's all going to go. Uh, the other type of person that you see in a group project is the do-nothing person. Uh, and this person is called the do-nothing person because they do nothing. Uh, they just don't do anything. Uh, it's that simple. And uh, you might be that person. Um, you might know that person if you've been in a group project. And sometimes this is somebody who just is selfish and doesn't care, and they'll own up to it. The other times, maybe it's like they... Um, they, they go, no, 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 this is just the way, it, this is just what's best, right? It's better when you got a group of people, not everyone can have a say, not everyone can do, I'm just going to sit back, I'm just going to let it all work out, I'm not going to make it more confusing and difficult, and then I'm just going to kind of like step in when I need to. And it's their way of not feeling bad about being a do-nothing person. But this person doesn't really contribute very much to the group, and everybody knows it. Um, you also have the obnoxious person. Uh, which is the one who just uh, thinks it's all a big joke and they think it's funny and they make jokes and they have bad ideas and they don't take any of it seriously and it drives the, uh, the do-everything person absolutely crazy. And then you also have the quiet person. You have the person who's like, 
they know how to do work on their own. They know how to do work for themselves. But the fact that they have to do it with a big group of people or with a group of people, that's a whole other story. And so you're not going to hear much from them. It's going to be hard to get things out of that person. Um, and it's not because they don't necessarily have good ideas or anything. It's just because they're like, I don't like this thing where I have to make this work with a group of people. And then the last person you get in every group is to get a diplomat. They call it the diplomat. This is the person who tries to make it all work together, right? The diplomat is usually the least favorite person of the do-it-all or the do-nothing because uh, they don't let the do-nothing person do nothing and they don't let the do-it-all do everything. They slow things down. Diplomats slow things down. They want to make sure everyone has a say. They want to make sure everything's heard, right? They want to make sure it's kind of even, right? Their job is to make peace and get everybody participating equally that's probably maybe more important to them than even the final project that you're working on as it is. Um, if, uh, for overall, working in a group on a project is not something we talk about like it's a good thing. Uh, it's something we talk about like we hope that we could avoid it if at all possible. In fact, a lot of things when it comes to working with people, we would like to avoid uh, much of the time if we could. And you go, well, that sounds pessimistic. I don't think it is. Because the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about, you know, as we've been talking about what it means to live a Christian life, to live out the gospel, the gospel is something that actually changes the way that you live, the way you behave, the things that we do. And as Paul's telling us about that, the last few weeks, he's been harping on this same thing again and again, and he's talking about it again for a third week in a row here in this next passage. He's talking about different groups of people coming and doing church together instead of doing it separately their own way. He's really getting on them about this. And I think it kind of begs the question, if you get to this point where you've been hearing it this much, that you go, why on earth is that better? Like, why should we be going through the difficulty of making a group of people follow Jesus together the way that we talk about here at church? And especially the way Paul talks about, because how much easier would it be if you just let the Jewish Christians who had their way of worshiping God, their way of being a, a Christian, uh, their priorities, their values, if you let them do it their way over here and let the Gentiles do it their way over here, then wouldn't that just be better and easier for the church? Wouldn't we all grow stronger in the faith if we didn't have to do it with a team and with a group? I think that that's a hard thing for many of us. The very concept of the kind of community that the Bible tells us we're supposed to have in order to live the Christian life is hard for us. In fact, I think we'll take many of the aspects of the Christian life before we'll take the community part of it, even if we like people. You're like, wait, what now? Because of the kind of community that Scripture tells us about. Well, when we get to this part of Romans in 15, chapter 15, these first few verses, what we see, thankfully, is basically Paul showing us exactly why we need to do this together and we couldn't do it individually or apart from each other. Why it is that we need to actually come and build this thing called community that we have here in the church instead of following Jesus by ourselves, which seems like it could be so much easier. In the very first verse of this passage, he says this, who are strong, though we who are strong have an obligation. He's talking to those and identifying himself with them, saying, we who are strong in the faith, not the weak ones, that would be bad, right? We who are strong in the faith have an obligation to do a certain thing. So right here, what Paul's saying is uh, God desires that the people 
who are his children, his followers, actually get strong in the faith. That's a, that's a good thing. God wants that from us. And if you translate the word strong here literally in the Greek, what it's talking about is simply the ability to do something the right way. So it's like uh, there's a right way to do something and there's a wrong way. There's like you figured it out and you're doing it or you haven't really figured it out and you're not doing it. Maybe you have the capability, the ability, the knowledge, the, the discipline, whatever it takes to just do the job or you don't do the job. So there are those who are like actively growing and maturing in the faith and those are what he calls strong. They're capable. They're just capable. And he says, in this community... Those of you who are capable, which, you know, most people would be like, well, that's obviously me. Those of you who are capable, you have an obligation. There's something that God expects from you, wants for you to do. And it's this. uh, To bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So the reason it's hard to come together in this kind of community is because they're strong and they're weak, and because these two people, these two groups of people want different things. In fact, usually there's a lot of groups of people that want a lot of different things, right? And it gets messy and it gets difficult. What Paul says here is that the obligation that the strong have, what it means to be strong is to bear with the failings of the weak instead of pleasing ourselves. It's not that hard to bear with the failings of the weak if we think it's going to help us, if it brings us pleasure, if it makes us happy, if it gets us what we want. It's not that hard to do for many of us. But instead, he says, to bear the failings of the weak instead of getting what we want, doing what we want, or pleasing ourselves. What he's talking about here is the first reason why we basically need to be doing this corporately together in a way that we cannot do it individually in isolation or in maybe the groups that we would construct for ourselves if we had total control over it. Uh, This community that we have, we need it because God, this is the place where God shapes me into a servant. This is the place where God takes the raw material that is us And he says, I'm going to shape you into someone who functions a certain way. And the way that is, is you will serve others. Now, that's often not the reason that people begin following Jesus is because they want to serve others. And when we get strong or we think we're strong and competent in the faith, oftentimes the last thing we think is that what God wants us to do with that is now to uh, put up with the failings of the weak for some reason. In fact, if the most important thing is to be strong and mature, then when you encounter weak, when you encounter something different, you usually look at it and you go, that is going to get in the way of my maturity. That's going to get in the way of me being who I'm supposed to be and probably the community being the way it's supposed to be. So... We need to get rid of them. Or maybe I'll go find another community where people aren't, there aren't weak people or people who are in need or people who need to be served because God wants me to focus on myself, 
to focus on the people that are closest to me and maybe that they're the most like me. But that's not what God wants. What God wants is he wants to shape you and I into a person who can and will serve others. That becomes who we are. That our very posture towards people is to take what we are strong in, to take the the money and the time and the relationships and the skills, the very spiritual things that we grow in, and to use those things for others who are more in need, who are weaker, and who might be even frustrating to be around. One of the most unrealistic things to me about superhero movies, and there's a lot of unrealistic things because there are no real superheroes, guys, so they're unrealistic, but to me the most unrealistic thing about them, or one of the most, is the fact that these people become superheroes in the first place. Because in the real world, if most people gained the ability to do something fantastic and amazing, they would have an Instagram account devoted to that thing, they would have a YouTube channel and they would be incredibly rich, or they would like uh, start a company and they would uh, use it for their own benefit. That is what most people would do. We would know about them, we would hear about them, because they would be the most popular people out there because of the amazing things they could do. If a billionaire tycoon decided to build a mechanical suit that saved people's lives, they would start a company that would sell those suits, and people would buy them, and they would make even more billions of dollars, because that's what most people would really do with strength. So to grow in the faith, to actually be changed into being more like Jesus— to be competent and strong is to, is to actually begin to develop the ability to, to do things um, like for God and just because of how he's changed us that we couldn't do before. And the question is, do we, do we see those things as being for us, for our benefit, or do we see them as being for the benefit of others? There's a very different um, way that Scripture talks about how we are to be with other people, especially when it comes to power. In, um, I'm going to skip around in my slides. You guys get the best version, because I already practiced this once. So now I know how it's really supposed to go. But it's going to be twice as long, so don't worry. (laughs) Same amount of content, but twice as long. Okay. Jesus' disciples come to him. And they, they ask him a question. You're like, don't ask Jesus this. They go, Jesus, who's the best? Come on, which, one of, which, which of us are the greatest, really, right? Like, we want to be the greatest. And Jesus is like, really, are you kidding me? And so they ask him this question, and he reminds them of how greatness works in the world. He says, the way greatness works is when you get strong, when you become great, you are now objectively better than other people, it seems, and so you lord it over people. You use your strength and your abilities to get more, to do more, and to be served, right? In fact, Being stronger usually means other people in some way serve you. That's the benefit. What Jesus says to them instead is this. He says, it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what Jesus says here is he says the crazy thing about what it means to truly be strong and to be good and mature in the kingdom of God is to be a person who serves others. And the place that God uses 
to teach us that the most. The place that God uses to shape us into people who are able to do that more is this community. Paul knows that, which is why he's telling the Gentiles and the Jews to stay together and to think about the other person's perspective and to get used to living the Christian life with people that you don't totally agree with or who you think might be at a different place than you. He says it's important that we have that. Because when we live in that environment with the things that God has given us, we are going to be shaped more and more into servants. And to remove ourselves from that environment, from that community, from those people, and to do it on our own or in isolation, which would be easier in a lot of ways, keeps us from, it robs us from the ability to actually learn to serve others. Because if you can't serve the people that you believe the same things as, if you cannot serve the people in your own family, Scripture tells us, then how can you serve those outside? How can you do it out there if you can't do it in here? Jesus tells the disciples also, it's, it's by the way that you love one another that the world will know that you're my disciples. That's how they will know. It will not just be because you say the same words that I say. It will be because you serve in the way that I served because that's what he came to do. We read in the next verse, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Let each of us please his neighbor. What a mess that would be. What would it be like if we did that, right? I mean, the biggest argument we have against, against simply giving to the weak or to serving the weak would be that they would stay weak, would be that it would affect our ability to be strong. But he's not saying just do it so that they're happy. He's saying do it so that it accomplishes a certain thing. And he says to build him up. To build someone's up, in this, the way it's being said here, means to increase their potential to do something. So we're actually serving one another in a way that increases the person's ability to do good, to be mature, to grow. We're helping them grow in the way that we serve them. We're not just doing it in a way that, that, is a, that, that gives them everything that they want all the time. And the way that we know what that looks like is because that's essentially what Jesus did. What we do in this community when we encounter the weak is that we're not to condemn them or to approve of them, but to identify with them to identify with their weakness, and then we work to lift them up. That's what we do. To bear up and to help them. To put up with these things to help them. We meet them where they're at instead of demanding that they meet us where we're at. And by doing this, we choose a completely different path from the rest of the world. We choose to respond to others the exact opposite as most would. What this looks like, we read about in 1 Thessalonians, for example. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. There's a lot of different types of weakness that we encounter in community. And when we encounter those things, here's how we respond. And we do it because it's what builds up. It is what builds up. If we see church as a place that we go to be served instead of to serve, then we miss this point of community. 
And I think probably the biggest thing that gets in the way and that causes a lot of us to sort of drift away from being really invested with people and in this community is that our perception of, of, of it is it's a place where I am served. Now, we would probably never say that out loud, but, you know, if, uh, if you know, church disappeared, uh, if this church shut down tomorrow and uh, you had to go somewhere else, would your motivation in that, would your feelings even in that be, um, where can I go to serve others? Or where can I go to receive, to get? right? That's usually how we feel. We usually go, I'm now missing something, and I need that thing. Where am I going to get it, and how can I find it best for me? Because that's what happens when we don't have diversity, like Paul's talking about, but we kind of go our own ways in our own groups. Is It becomes sort of like this fits this best, and this fits this best, and our job as a Christian, rather than to serve, is to simply identify a place where we can be best served, best fed, and best filled up. The community, this community, is where God shapes me into a servant. This is where God shapes me into a servant. And that's not always the easiest process. When God came to the earth and manifested himself to us, He did this in the form of Jesus, a servant, rather than a person with great power in the way the world recognizes it. Paul says this to us because, again, we always seem to go back to why should we do a certain thing because Christ did it first, because God did it for us. The next verse is, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So he's citing the Old Testament, a psalm, and, and he's reminding people of what Jesus did through citing that. Now, this psalm is talking about, it's from the perspective of a person who is dealing with a lot of enemies, and they're lamenting that. But the worst part about it is that they're also dealing with a lot of pain and suffering that came from their very own people, their very own kin, or their very own community. Because, you see, this is what it is to be a part of community, and it's also what it is to truly actually follow Jesus and to serve, is to recognize that it will be those even in uh, our own community that will often cause us pain and be at odds with us. And he says, Christ, what did he do with those? He went to them, and he served them. And so what do we do? Do we go away from them because we know we're right? And we know that we shouldn't be around someone like that? Or do we do what Jesus did? You see, what Paul does here, when he, when he quotes this, is he brings them back as the reason why they should do this to what's in the Word. Now, he's talking to a group of people. Most of them are Gentile Christians. They did not grow up with the Old Testament. They did not grow up with the Bible. They're kind of the unchurched Christians. And the Jewish people are the ones that were around religious stuff their whole upbringing and their whole life up till that point of of becoming a Christian. And so when he talks to the Gentiles and he quotes the Old Testament, it might not really land on a group like that as well, right? Why would he quote that and bring that up to them as a reason why they should do something? And it points us to exactly the other reason why, another reason why 
We need something that we find in community that we cannot find outside of it. And that has to do with the very truth of God itself. Because he goes on and he says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. He's convincing, he's telling them, here's why I'm quoting something that happened a long time ago that was said a long time ago to you guys, even though you might be like, what does that have to do with us? Why would that convince us? Why would that matter for us? He's saying, because whatever was written in the former days, Scripture itself was written for our instruction here and now. And that through that, we find endurance and and encouragement from the Scriptures, and that gives us hope. This community is the place where I go um, because it's where God shapes me as a servant, into a servant better than anywhere else. But the other thing about it is that it is a place where God brings me back to His Word. It is in the context of community like this that we will again and again and again gather around the truth of who God is, the truth of who we are, the truth of the world that we live in. And this is hard for us. It really is hard for all people in all times because we want the truth that we come up with now. To the Greek people, to the Gentile Christians who he was writing to, the world that they were living in, What was true was the things that you came up with right then. You went out in the public square and you debated things and you talked about things with people. People thought they were, people were developing new things. They were learning a lot of new stuff about knowledge itself and they were discussing and talking about these things and the idea was that we're coming up with stuff that no one's ever come up with before. We're finally figuring out the answers to all the big questions that people couldn't answer before. And they were very proud of themselves for that and they were like, this is a big deal. And what Paul is saying and what he's, what he's doing every time the Gentiles and Christians met together, because the, or the Gentiles and the Jews, because the Jews were more familiar with that scripture. They were more familiar with those things. And he's bringing them together and he's saying, now that I've brought you guys together, now that you're together, we, we get together around the truth of something that didn't come up, we didn't come up with this today. It's the truth of something that God gave us. And it was true in the past and it is true in the present and it will be true in the future. See, we're really good at looking for truth, looking for things to give us. We look for things constantly to give us encouragement. We constantly look for things to help us endure and absolutely look for things to give us hope. We usually look wherever's easiest, wherever's nearest or closest. And we often end up appealing to the same things and looking to the same things that those outside the church look to for endurance and for encouragement and for hope. But the problem is those are the things that we care about today. And tomorrow, there will be something different. Truth will change. Things will change. But not God's word and who he is. And so when we come together in community, we're coming together often, together. We're spending time in God's word, going back to it, saying, let us remember what God has told us. And when we worship God, we are, we are hearing truths about God, going back to them again and again and again, truths that we really struggle to believe and live out throughout the week, and we are saying those things back to God in company with one another. 
even though we're often tempted to withdraw into isolation, which doesn't just mean I'm by myself. It means I'm with my group. It means I'm with my group where everyone's strong like me, right? That's how God wants me to grow, right? I mean, isn't that what God wants? He wants me to find maybe a group of people, maybe it's my family, whatever that is, and we're strong, and what God wants is for us to just keep getting stronger and stronger and more mature and more mature and more mature, because then he will be pleased with this, like, unit that I've, we've created, that we've built together. But that's not what Paul says, because Paul would say to you, now be with them, and they're going to drive you crazy, they're going to drive you bananas, but in that, I'm going to teach you how to serve, and you need to be a servant if you're going to truly be great in the kingdom. And in that, I'm going to keep bringing you back to my word. Because the thing that we also do when we get off in our groups, or we get off by ourselves, is we have our own things. Even the things of God that we like to go back to again and again and again, right? We have our way. If you've ever been in a Bible study with people, uh, you know how this works, right? You could be reading something, looking at something, and a person might come up with something that is completely not there at all. And you're like, I feel like maybe you were thinking that when you walked in, you know? Because that's what we do. That's what we do in our experience. We are in desperate need of encouragement. We are in desperate need of the ability to endure. And we can endure when we have hope. And our hope is in what we encounter in Scripture and in who God is. It gives us a clearer view of him, and it brings us back to him again and again and again. And by bringing ourselves back again to that hope that we have in who God is, we endure. What does it look like to not endure? What does it look like to stop enduring? Enduring means you keep going over a long period of time. Uh, so we think of not enduring as just completely quitting, like cold turkey right away, right? A person saying, I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't believe anymore. I'm out of this whole thing. But I don't think that's how endurance starts to fade. It actually begins to fade before we usually just walk away, right? We begin to find encouragement, find hope in other things, and as we do that more and more, we struggle to actually be able to endure for real. And so what that looks like is we kind of, the priority of actually uh, living the Christian life, of being like Christ, of God being our hope and our joy and the center of who we are, those things become less important and other things become more important. That's what it looks like slowly, gradually to not endure, but to begin to just slow down and eventually we stop. There's so many things that we have encountered, even just in Romans, that give us encouragement and help us to endure. And otherwise, without those things, without that truth of God, we will place our hope in the wrong things and we will grow faint and weary. We will grow faint and weary. So, Paul is like, like, actively just illustrating this right here in these verses as he's making his last case to the Gentiles and the Jews, saying to them, like, the things that we look to that we find truth in, God's word, it tells us that this is what it is to follow Jesus. I'm not just making this up. This isn't just my bent. This isn't just the thing I Paul am into today. And so do it because of that. I just need people to serve people. Then I can move on to the next church or something. No. Paul is writing an entire explanation of the gospel, the best one that we have in Scripture. And he's using that explanation of the gospel to say, come together. His reason 
is scripture. It is the truth of God, and it doesn't change. And we can save ourselves a whole lot of time and effort by building our lives on a truth that doesn't change rather than what might seem easier in the moment, which is building it on a truth that is the one we all came up with right now, today, that will probably change tomorrow. And so he says this, uh, May the God of endurance and the God of encouragement, may he grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. He begins to use this language, again, of of separate things coming together because God wants us to live in harmony with one another. He, uh, harmony is what happens when um, a lot of different voices and a lot of different, yeah, we'll just say voices, come together in a very nice sounding way, right? And so he's kind of saying like, like what, we, what we hope for, what we work towards, what we want is we want for all of us together to be like a harmony, something that sounds good. You're like, eh, a long way to go, right? We're all singing publicly here together. And, and, and is he talking about like, no, no, that's what I want. I want you to come every Sunday, and if the band's going to do their job well, then everybody's going to be like, okay, no, here we go. I'm going to stand over there. Okay, you're going to be over here. Okay, let's go in this section. Let's sit in our own sections. Man, you could really go, go crazy with this because you see how it is the way we do church sometimes, right? I'll go sit over here. You go sit over there. We'll sit over here, and then we'll sound this way. I'll sound this way. you sound this way, and then we'll all in the right key, and then we'll all do the right, and then it's perfect harmony. It sounds wonderful, and then God's just like, that's exactly what I want to hear, right? That's not the kind of harmony he's talking about. But it is a harmony of a lot of different things coming together in a way that ultimately works. He goes on and he says this, that together, this is what harmony is, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is is hoping and wishing for for the church in Rome is that these incredibly different voices... These incredibly different people who have different takes on what it means to follow Jesus. And he's not saying there's no right way. He's not saying there's not a strong and a weak way. He's using pretty clear language. He's saying, he's saying what we hope for and we look forward to and work towards is that these people who are so different would all come together in such a way that we have one voice. And that God would hear that one voice and he would find it pleasing. You know, when you talk about singing and you talk about worship and you talk about what we find pleasing, right? Harmony, right? What sounds harmonious and what sounds good, right? Right? If I were to say, okay, everybody, just close your eyes and I want you to think for a moment about the exact kind of worship that, like, like music that is the most pleasing to your ears, right? Uh, we, might, we might then all open up our eyes and have immediate disunity, right? Because that's like how it is when you have a bunch of people come together, right? I mean, they call them worship wars in churches, right? Like people caring a lot about different ways of doing that thing and, and, and it creating so much tension because we have our own idea of what it actually means for it to be harmonious and to sound good, right? Right? So, so what style do we go for? What do we work towards? 
I mean, obviously he's talking about it sounding good and having one voice, and what is it? Well, what Paul's doing here is that he is describing a worship style for sure. And it's the one that we ought to have. And what it is, is this. He is saying that, and this is great, that this community that we live in here is where God gets his favorite worship style. Because he's got one. He's got one that he likes more than any others. And if we come together in community instead of pursuing Jesus on our own, or instead of pursuing Jesus with those that are the most like us, then what happens is God gets his own favorite kind of worship. And Paul's describing God's favorite kind of worship here. He's saying that God's favorite is when a bunch of different voices and different people come together in harmony. When we sing the same things together, when we gather around the same scripture, that that is what God wants to hear. He's like objectively saying that it's more pleasing to God to hear people that he knows are not like each other, unifying around praising him. Now, when we think about like what God might be most pleased by, right? We maybe think about stadiums full of like 30, 40, 50,000 people worshiping, like a band that looks like U2 or something. You guys know where U2 is? People know this? Okay. Like an old band from back in the day. Just kidding. And we think, man, that would be, that's like, that's amazing. That's epic. That's incredible. But it's also all the same. What he is telling us is that it is only through the diversity that we find in this community that we are able to truly glorify God the way he wants to be glorified. Praise him the way he wants to be praised. He is so profoundly pleased by that. And so here's what he says to do. He says, therefore, welcome one another. As Christ has welcomed you, why? For the glory of God. We're doing it because it brings God glory, because it's what he wants. It's because it's what he says brings him the most glory. The single greatest reason, the single biggest reason that we seek to live out the Christian life in community with other people who are different from us and to serve those people sacrificially, the reason that we seek to do it above all other is because God says it glorifies me and it pleases me when you do. When he says welcome one another, we know what he's saying because we've been talking about it for a few weeks. He's saying, I know that you let them sit in the chairs in the room. I know that you allow them to come in and they put up with you and you put up with them. But what I want you to do is to welcome them in. And the language he's using and that he's been using is the way that you welcome in someone who is a part of your family. The way that you welcome in one of your close friends the way that you welcome in someone who's already really in. He says, let us do that because it is when we are a place that works that way that God can be the most glorified. With all of our different voices, all of our different ideas and ways of doing it, 
all the different ways that we think this temptation leads to this sin and this leads to this and the priorities that we have that are different and the giftings that we have that are completely different, all of those people coming together to praise God with one voice is the most glorifying thing to him. What would it be like if a person were to just say, like, I want to lose weight, um, but I really am not a big fan of eating right or really working out. And so I'm just going to work on getting in shape. We'll say getting in shape or losing weight um, without eating right and working out. Um, I'm just going to come up with, find out what other ways I can do that. We would probably say that's pretty ridiculous. You're not going to get very far because you've just cut out the two most important things that you have to do in order to be in shape and be healthy and do what you're trying to do. Uh, this is sort of what it's like when we say, I do want to live the Christian life. I do want to be strong. I do want to grow. I want to I be pleasing to God and how I live because of what who he is and what he has done for me in my life. But I need to do it in an environment that looks like this. I need to do it with people that look like this. I need to do it by myself in isolation. When we say, or we struggle to, to really embrace the Christian community as the backdrop for our whole faith, then we forego the very place that God intends to put us so that we can grow the most. And we won't grow. Not nearly as we would in community. We'll become a 30-year-old who's like spiritually a 10-year-old. Or a 50-year-old who's spiritually a 20-year-old. Or an 80-year-old who's spiritually a 30-year-old. Or maybe a 10-year-old. Because even though we think we've been following and doing this thing and wanting to grow strong, we've never actually began serving those who were weak. We've never begun um, actually allowing like our time that we spend together around the truth of God to shape our understanding of him. We live in a time where we have the ability to connect with people who are exactly like us more than ever before. We live in a time where we have the ability uh, to, to utilize resources and tools to be in God's word like never before. And we live in a time when we have the ability to identify people who can help us be stronger like never before. So it seems weird to hear that we're supposed to live differently than that. But just because we may have all those things at our fingertips doesn't actually mean that that's what it looks like to grow. We need community. We need to do the group project. We need to do this together. Paul knows that. He's saying, I get it. It makes sense to you that if you go this way and you go this way, you'll probably both be able to be much stronger without having to get in each other's way. God intends for you to get in each other's way. Thanks. I'm just the bearer of the news, you know. Let's pray.